And welcome back to the Sports Booth podcast. It's a Woo. it's a sombre mood here in the in the Sports oh, Booth yeah. world. Uh, a, a massive. What do we have? Four games over the weekend. You know, two internationals, two of our NRL teams mm-hmm. going at it, and we're zero from four. Donuts. Yeah, baby. Donuts. I am. I'm. I'm just mentally making myself be the complete opposite of how I'm feeling. Because <laughs> I had an even worse week than you. Yeah, I had an even you, worse you, week because at least you had, I had at origin. least you had one game on a Wednesday <laughs> night. It I've is. got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing. Uh, it is. I, 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 I am a husk of a man. <laughs> <laughs> it was despair. Despair Saturday night, I must say. Uh, yep. There wasn't a lot that went well for us. But for me, for for yourself, uh, and and we'll we'll get into all of it. If, if you haven't if you haven't been with us before, uh, my name is Luke. His name is Hughie. We 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 touch on rugby and rugby league, and that that's what we'll be really touching on today. Uh, and yeah, going into detail, I guess the the pain that we are that we are strived with at the moment. Uh, I will start as a New Zealander and an All Black. Uh, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. There were just about tears at the end of the All Blacks game. I, I'm, I'm not a man who cries. I can tell you that I'm not a man who cries, and I was, I was about this close, this close to crying, uh, and and shedding tears. And then I remembered, no, Luke, it's just a bunch of silly guys, we're playing around with a ball on a pitch. It doesn't matter. And then I went into the bedroom and punched a few pillows and felt a little bit better. And then I went to the Wallabies game. And felt even better because I knew the misery you'd be joining me. Like it would have been really hard if I'd known that the All Blacks had fallen from from the great mantle that they were on to where they were now, and not have someone else joining me. So I'm glad you joined me in this yeah. absolute despair that I'm feeling. But it was a tough, it was a tough, tough old Saturday. Let 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 me go and explain how I feel about the All Blacks at the moment, and then I want to hear kind of your perspective on it. Did you watch the game to start off with? I watched most of it, yeah. not all of it, but I watched most of it. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of things that that are obviously going around in the New Zealand world at the moment, and Ian Foster out is is the leading one. And I said I said to my partner after the game, I said, you know, you know, all those big football clubs, Manchester United, the Arsenal's, and when they have they want their manager out, I've never had that feeling before. I've never been like, oh, mm. I feel so passionate that I want to coach out of their job, out of their livelihood, mm. that I'd want that. Am I at that stage? I'm very close to at that stage. I'm not quite of the Ian Foster out group, but I know why many New Zealanders are. I can understand why. And the big thing that I took away from that, and and the reason why I can see so many New Zealanders feel that way, is watching that game and watching this series, Ireland have looked like what the All Blacks normally look like, and the All Blacks have looked like what the Italians normally look like on a rugby field. That's honestly what I'm feeling at the moment. Wow. It we we said it on the after that first game and I said the issue with New Zealand rugby at the moment was we were relying on individuals and it happened again where individual play got us to a point where yeah, okay, we just about beat a very good Irish team, but the game plan wasn't there, the tactical play wasn't there. Ireland just played a hell of a lot better, but not even just played better, they look better, they look more structured. I still truly believe the All Blacks are the best team in the world and they have the best players in the world. I just don't know how we got to this point. Like the the game plan, everything, the style of play, it was just it just lacked creativity and it lacked a lot of what I've 
New Zealand rugby is. Whereas Ireland, on the other hand, with Bundyake, Johnny Sexton making breaks, the way they mm. played the game, the breaks that they made, were all structured by their, their play, if you know what I mean. And so it just felt yeah. like it was a complete opposite to what I've seen for the past 29, 28 years of my life while watching the All Blacks. Uh, it, what has been, you know, uh, sent into my veins as an All Blacks fan as what we expect and what we expect from the All Blacks just wasn't there this series. And that's that's the disappointing thing. Like, yeah. I can get I can get losing to a better side. I can get the, the, the loss at home, and I can take all of that if we played good rugby and matched up. I don't think we played that good rugby, and that's what hurt. Our tactics weren't there. There was a lot that I felt like we did wrong. And, and so the reason I'm not at the Ian Foster out camp yet, hashtag Ian Foster out, is... There's a lot of experienced rugby players still in that group. Now, mm. I understand a lot goes down to coaching and, and what we've seen with these series over this mid-season, mid I think, is the better coaches has probably come out with a series win. But there's players there, and I can't, I can't imagine that it's just Ian Foster going back and watching tape and going, where did this wrong, where did it wrong? There's a group at the moment that, in that All Blacks camp, that aren't sure of answers. And this is the first time I think the All Blacks have ever been tested here. And it's it's like I said to my partner, I said, they, they should know what's going wrong and be able to fix it. And I don't know if the All Blacks have, and, and you, you hope that this isn't the case, but if the All Blacks have become too good for their own shoes, if you know what I mean. So they think that they're yeah. going to step out on the field and they have the talent, it'll be all right, we'll get this over. Now, with the likes of Sam Whitelock, you know, even Sam Kane, Adi Severe, you, you, I imagine that's not true. But is that creeping in? Maybe. Maybe it is. And there was a couple of times that I just, you know, defensive errors, defensive misjudgments, and I'm just like, do they think that they're just their talent's going to get them over the line? Like, you, you, you hope there's not enough just yes men in the camp. And I, I don't believe there is, but it just has me a little bit nervous. And so that's why I don't, I'm not Ian Foster out yet because I think, there's a group there of players, Bowden Barrett, Sam Whitelock, Adi Sevilla, who they'll they'll be feeling something after this, and they'll be surely, you know, they'll be also giving their ideas to Ian Foster. There's assistant coaches. There's there's a big group of people making these decisions. This isn't on Ian Foster alone, but it does die with him. In the end, it's his name on the line. So some changes obviously have to be made. I said I don't mind feeling this feeling. If to next year it leads to a World Cup win, I will. I will, hit, I will feel all of these feelings if it leads to a World Cup win. But at the moment, I can see why there's a lot of anger coming from New Zealand rugby. You know what? I'm very glad that uh, we are not playing the All Blacks first up in the rugby championship. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys are going to uh, South Africa first. and Because, um, yeah, it would be... Whoever, whoever falls into the sights of the All Blacks next is uh, going to be out for, for vengeance, the All Blacks. So... Yeah, look, I, re I really actually resonated with a lot of what you said there. Um, and I know that, you know, one of your things, you've got a question for me, is, about, is discuss the Wallabies and where I think they're at. And I think we saw very similar things play out in the Wallabies versus England series. Now, not necessarily that um, Australia has relied on individual talent for so long um, and have... Uh, you know, succeeded that way because you know, obviously we haven't. We we have have lost to um, the All Blacks, you know, countless times, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. But I think what we saw from these Northern Hemisphere teams, and it really should be sending a signal to us Southern Hemisphere teams about how we need to improve. 
is that the structure was there for the Southern Hemisphere teams, I think, in the back line. I was speaking mainly from watching the Wallabies game. The structure was there in the backs. And the backs were executing their moves. They knew where they needed to be. They are working well. Where these Northern Hemisphere teams beat us, or at least beat, this is where England beat the Wallabies, is the Fords operated as a pack. They were all together. Now, the Wallabies forwards were good in stages and in flashes, right? But you could truly see that the England forward pack was a unit together. And when someone carried the ball, there were two or three people there with them. And I've noticed this a lot from the Wallabies especially, and I've seen it creep into the All Blacks game as well, where people will go forward and there won't be there anyone there to support them. There were a couple of breaks that individual players made that if one or two other players were backing them up on the, being there on the spot, it could have led to tries. And we saw that there were opportunities there. You know, the Taniella 2.1 just passed just a little bit too low to Slipper, right? That could have changed the game. The Wallabies would have won the game if they'd scored a try there because we only lost by four points, right? Then there was the, the try that we did convert. We, and notice that it was the backs that did it in this case with Nick White and Tom Wright, right? They knew where to be with each other. They knew where to be backing each other up and it led to points, right? So there's flashes of it. They are capable of it. And the All Blacks definitely are capable of it. I've seen it so many times from New Zealand rugby where it's just a couple of people there on the spot. But I think the that it has grown lax in the Southern Hemisphere rugby, at least this year anyway. Now, uh, I wonder if it's because from Super Rugby that the the very that a bit of a spreading around of talent a bit has sort of lowered the skill cap and teams are able to get away with it a little bit more perhaps i don't know if that's necessarily it maybe it's just the the you know the the constant southern hemisphere teams battling each other and that's a style that can work in southern hemisphere rugby but what i noticed from the english was they are all over the ball as soon as someone gets to the ground. They are there, ready to go instantly. Now, Michael Hooper is is great at it for the Wallabies. And there's a few New Zealand players that are amazing at it as well. But everyone in England knew that that was their job. They were hungry for the ball 24-7. They were there in numbers. They were there in numbers in defense. They were there in numbers in attack. And it's, um, you know, you look at the different, the, the skills of the players, um, you know, Australia and England, Ireland versus New Zealand, and there's not that much differential in skill, and in some cases, it's weighted in favour of the teams that lost. However, what it what they showed is that it is better to be a champion team than a team of champions. Uh, I think that that was sort of emphatically shown uh, over this weekend. And look, uh, I'll let you get a word in here, but that's really what I think is going to send a shock to everyone in the in, that supports Southern Hemisphere rugby is that. You've got a that team is with the way that the current game is currently being ruled and refed is more important than ever. And being isolated, running on your own, you know, this isn't league, this is union. Running on your own will lead to disaster. Yeah, no, I, I mean, there's two massive points that I totally agree with, and that's firstly the Fords of the Southern Hemisphere teams were dominated by their Northern Hemisphere counterparts. I think. Uh, your Australian backline was unreal to watch on the on the weekend, uh, and mm. and watching it live was fantastic. Now. They they did. You could tell that they obviously they you guys used the back ball quite well and it got predictable. But still, you managed to break so many times. It worked really well. And I actually think mm. for the general part of that game and that series, you actually played the better rugby than England. But like you said, what 
the Northern Hemisphere teams do really well is at the breakdown, can get turnovers, get penalty, tick over the points, win games. And and in the end, that's that's the goal, isn't it? Like, I think Australia yep. played better rugby. They created more chances. Like you said, there was another Taniella Tupo with Nick Frost. If that ball goes to hand, there's probably a try there. There's a couple that's more right, plays around. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there was one with Slipper that even if Slipper catches out the back 60 metres out, the way you guys are attacking with your back line, you create numbers over, there's, there's yeah. potential for tries. So... I sat there and I go, I think the the Wallabies actually played a bit of rugby in that third test and potentially even in that second test, definitely that third test, but didn't come away with a win. And that's, in the end, the, the all-important thing is, is winning a game, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the forwards and what they're doing with the forwards up in the, in the Northern Hemisphere is just incredible. Courtney Laws is a great example. When your six yeah. is able to get his hands on the balls as much as Courtney Laws at a breakdown... It makes a huge difference, and it's the same. Peter Armani did it for the Irish, and Vinopolo for the English as well. Billy Vinopolo, and, and he was there always. Yep. And so I think yep. I don't know what they're t- saying and how they're teaching it and coaching it to get to the ball, but whatever they're doing, like you said, it's working really well. Well, I think what our, what our Southern Hemisphere teams are guilty of, or I don't even know if it's guilty of, but the, the way that they play is that they play to their play to their skills and play to their opponents' weaknesses. What I saw from the Northern Hemisphere teams, and, and I've, you, I see it from them all the time, is they play to the laws of the game. So they play they play smarter rugby, essentially. They, you know, I guess Southern Hemisphere teams, we are a bit flashier and creative in some ways, right? Uh, always looking for the try. Whereas I think the Northern Hemisphere teams are always looking for the points, always looking for the, the little wins that will add up to, to a victory. Yep. Right, because um, I'm pretty sure Australia scored more tries overall in the series. Definitely, um, but it was Aaron Farrell's boot that that won England the series. And that, and look, that Australian rugby definitely is guilty of that all the time. Uh, I know several games I've watched where we've lost to the All Blacks, where uh, you know Dan Carter's boot <laughs> just killed us. Right, and then the the further you get behind with those penalty kicks, just those three points, just piling up and adding on and adding on and adding on adds to that sense of desperation where you feel like you have to go for the for the try and yeah i think that they just play smarter rugby because they play to the laws of the game they have an understanding of what the refs are going to call uh and i think that's something that that the southern hemisphere teams should look to as well because so many times and look you, you're gonna have it we're gonna have a question or a discussion here in a second i know because you've got it <laughs> on here about rugby's issue but you know, there's so many times I would see a breakdown and be confused about what the penalty was called, but it would, the coin would flip to the English way. And so obviously the English have got an understanding of what the laws of the game are and how they're currently being ruled. And they're playing to that. And that is smart rugby. And that's what uh, that's what won them the series. Yeah, and I mean, I think we're saying that this is Northern Hemisphere rugby, but realistically, this is South African rugby, if you've ever yeah. you've kind of captured it like... South Africa won a Rugby World kick, Cup by kicking the ball away. Like they said, we're yeah. going to kick the ball away, we're going to force you back into your own half, you're going to make a stake, give away a penalty, we're going to kick three points and we're going to win a Rugby World Cup. And they run a Rugby World Cup. And that's, like you said, that's the state of the laws at the moment, that that is where it was at. And you could see it in the Irish and New Zealand game. And I'd even say uh, when in, in the England-Australian uh, game when, I think it's Jack, Paul Vout, Paul Vout, I'm probably butchering his name. The, the He came on in the first half for Danny Kerr for the English, the halfback. Mm. They kicked better box kicks. Like Aaron Smith 
was beaten by Jameson Gibson Park at box kicking. Bowden Barrett's tactical kicking against Sexton's was worse. And it's the same, I think, there. Noah Lowe said, you're kicking, especially in that third test, some of the grubbers that Pasami and Karevi put in, and even some of the kicks that Lolisi had put in, just wasn't up to the standard that the English was. So it's just, it's it's those moments where kicking, I think, will win and lose you a series. And we could make the argument mm. for both those series that was won and lost. And I could even make the argument after watching the third test of the South African Wales one back and even the second one, that that was the same there, is who could put themselves in the best position, who can D well enough to not lose the game, and who can turn it, you know, pressure into points, be it five, be it seven, be it three, and take over the three pointers. Mm. Uh, that all being said, though, but I don't know if you, if you were planning on asking me or this or not, we're a bit unstructured here in the sports booth. What I saw from the Wallabies overall, though, is encouraging. I feel the Wallabies are better this year than they were last year, which is always good to see. And I think there's a good next generation of talent coming through with Angus Bell. Nick Frost really surprised me. Um, sort of coming out of nowhere, I feel like he played, he stepped up his game in the Wallabies jumper. And it looks like it was a smart decision after all to turn down that Japanese contract for uh, to stay and play in the green and gold. Because he looks like he's, he's earned himself a, a starting position, at the very least a permanent bench spot, uh, depending on Darcy Swain. Uh, Darcy Swain's availability. Caden Neville as well. Older, but still technically a Wallabies rookie. Looks good. He's out for a little bit with injury. So overall, what I saw from the talent level of the Wallabies, I think is good. And I think, quite honestly, Quade Cooper being back will help immensely. And it's not a knock against Noah. I think Noah has been has played well. But I think Quade brings a bit of level-headedness to the side. And we see the same with, with Sexton from the Irish as well. That older level head uh, in such an important playmaking position is 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 key is clutch and i think that really would have uh solidified a lot of the the wallabies um deficiencies in this game look going into the the south african uh series in a couple weeks time where there's a few few people still out uh with injury i guess um i'm not sure if pataya will be back in time or not for that series um i think i saw that he would be available but i know Callaway's not available. Tom uh, Wright, no, Tom Banks is obviously not available. Um, but Quaid should be back as well. And then Darcy Swain and Caden Neville, I think, are both out. But the other positives I saw, uh, Samu Karevi, and Sonny Bill Williams said this, and so I'm going to take it as fact, is that Samu Karevi is the best 12 in the world right now. Oh, unfortunately, he's not, going to be there for, he's not going to be there for the South African series, unfortunately, because he's playing in the Commonwealth Games. Good luck to him to play in the sevens to try and win a gold medal. But Karevi is a beast, right? Definitely. I, I think Karevi at 12 and uh, Pattaya at 13 would be particularly destructive. Now, nothing against Hunter Paisami, and his cover defense is amazing, but I think Pattaya offers a little more in attack. I, and yeah. I would love to see Vunavalu start on a wing with Korobeti on the other wing and Tom Wright at fullback. Because Tom Wright played out of his skin, and his defense was incredible in that game. Yeah, no, I that, I totally agree with that. What I saw from Hunter Pasami is his defense, you'll never, he'll never get it wrong. Mm. Maybe miss a tackle here and then, as every centre does. But his attack, he it offers a lot with his ball. It's just a decision-making. Sometimes that was what I was like, man, you let yourself down and you let your team down. Uh, and then, yeah, I, mm. I'm still confused how... Dave Rennie fought Reese Hodge at the back. I, I, kicking game, fantastic, so I don't want to take too much about uh, away from him, but I just think without... Mm. The, the fact that it took 77 minutes to get Vonivalu on and, and do that change just seems a bit strange, but again, uh, I, I'm sure Dave Rennie's got a bit more 
know it all behind him and, and stats and stuff to back up what he's doing rather than me just pitching that. But yeah, I think you've got you're onto you're onto the right thing. The Aussie, the direction you guys are moving in, the direction you're moving in, and the direction we're moving in has me a little bit worried. Do I think we're going to lose the Yeah, of course not. No, because you've got to beat us at Eden Park, and no one beats us at Eden Park. So. Uh, that's the last if, if Ian Foster breaks that record and we get beaten at Eden Park I'll be the first one yeah. to be I'll have a top yeah. saying hashtag Foster sorry made a, made a mistake before heading into the Argentina series you guys are playing South Africa heading into the Argentina series uh, yeah I'm just looking here I just want to see if uh, looks like uh, I don't know if Pattaya is going to be available there's no no word on him mm. here I hope he's because it was it was a concussion that kept him out. So I imagine in a few weeks' time he should be available. With with Karevi out, I could see my, I could see Ikitao at twelve, um, and and Pattaya at thirteen, um, would would be great. I mean, obviously the ideal twelve would be Karevi, um, and then the, the forward pack. Look, I don't think there's a lack of talent in the forward pack, and I think even in the in the bench, uh, like the the front having a front row options of Angus Bell. Alatoa, uh, Slipper, and Tupo, great. They they all played well. Bell came off with a toe injury, I believe. So hopefully that's nothing too major. But there's enough depth there to move yeah. around. Scott Co didn't wasn't able to continue either. I think. Yeah, or and he was in the second, second game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's there's depth there in the front row. Pareki is the starting hooker, no doubt about it. Fainga is serviceable as a as a backup. Obviously, can sometimes leave something to be desired in his line-out throws, but when he gets the ball in hand at the back of malls, he knows how to score tries, right? Second row, I think we've actually sort of uncovered some depth there, which is the position of the forward pack I was most worried about. Nick Frost looks great. Matt Phillip has stepped up his game. Like, the two tests he was in, he's played really, really well. Like, I, I haven't been able to fault him, and I'm a, I've usually been a big <laughs> Matt Phillip critic. And in the back row, they all played all played well, Right. But they played well as individuals, yeah. not as a forward pack. And I think that's ultimately where the Wallabies have got to show some improvement. And look, Dan McKellar is the forwards coach, and he was the most successful super rugby coach this year. I think he he can whip them into shape. Uh, but I, and I think that's something that the, the Wallabies have got to look at this series against England and be like, where did we go wrong? And it wasn't, I don't think it was like effort. I don't think it was skill. I just think it was... Uh, it was being there for each other. I think it was a team thing. I think it was positioning. Yeah. I th- and I think, and that's something that's correctable. That's very, very correctable. Um, look, positive signs, as I said, for the Wallabies. Um, and, you know, I, I made the prediction that this is the year that we'll break the letters <laughs> like curse. And look, you've, this, is, this is a year for record breaking. 117 years. You hadn't lost to Ireland on New Zealand soil. It happened. Last time you guys lost two games in a row was like 1990-something, right? <laughs> two games in a row in, in, in New Zealand, I should say. It was yeah. like 1990-something. Against, against France. <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy. So if, if it's going to happen... Last time we lost a three-game series at home, 1986, to the Springboks. We've only done it twice. Yeah. Um, so I must say I am interested now in the future of Super Rugby because mm. as the uh, Aussie CEO was harping on about it, previously this series will bring back some questions the fact that New Zealand and Australian rugby both lost 2-1 at home to Northern Hemisphere teams is the competition good enough is this and that now I don't think you can take this as one event and say no yes but you've got to look at what they're doing over there versus what we're doing over here the base the players the clubs everything like that 
again, this and, and, and it's a good discussion. Like how many of those Irish players played for Leicester? I would, uh, I would, I would endeavour to say it's above ten. Uh, and so, what does that get? A whole lot of cohesion. Uh, I guarantee a lot of those um, English players play for Leinster or for uh, Saracens, and the cohesion's there as well. So, I mean. Oh, sorry, wrong way. I got Leinster and the Irish and, and Leicester for the, the English. But yeah, it's just I, I think there's going to be some questions about that and and how that works. But it'll be interesting. So I want to quickly move on to the issues uh, with the laws of the game and rugby. Before before we get to that though, I w- do want to give a shout out to something positive that did happen. Uh, before we mire ourselves in more negativity, <laughs> um, for anyone that didn't see. Uh, Chile rugby versus USA rugby for a spot in the World Cup. Uh, and Chile, uh, they won that game uh, by by two points. And they needed to win by at least two points to qualify uh, for the Rugby World Cup on a- aggregate. And they did, beating the USA. And the, 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 the looks of and the scenes of joy at the end of that game from the Chilean players and stuff were absolutely incredible. And so we will see Chile in the in the Rugby World Cup in France, and I think that's going to that's so awesome for for world rugby. Uh, you know, we we sort of said it at the in the, in our previous podcast that uh, international rugby is truly one of the, if not the only sport, where the international level of competition is the highest level of competition, and the Rugby World Cup is the highest level of international play. Uh, and so amazing stuff from from Chile to to qualify. I would love expansion into South America would with even more teams and more competitions over there. More players coming in can only benefit world rugby. So look, congratulations to Chile, well deserved. Uh, and see you at the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, as congratulations to them. And I'm going to get negative again. I'm, I'll try to get my mood changed, but I just I'm in despair at the moment. So. Leave me in my mood. Uh, but it fucking annoys me, the, the setup of this qualifying for the Rugby World Cup. Because to get to the stage, it's taken a bloody long time. And it's not an easy thing yeah. to work out. Like, Tonga's about to play Hong Kong and the Ripper Charge. And like I said to you, pre-podcast, you said, oh, Chile have qualified for the World Cup. And I said, oh, did they not have to go into this or that? Well, actually, no, USA's going into the Ripper Charge and could be playing Kenya or some shit. Just make it easy. Make it easy. Uh, yeah. It's Okay, everyone in America plays this many games. They have a table, boom. Qualify this way, boom, 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 boom. Let's do that. Like, don't make it hard. Like that. That again, like we're saying, it's a, it's the best competition. It's the highest level of competition. Make it easy for people to understand st- stuff. All these rapid charge tournaments and second chances. You get one chance at it. If you miss out, you miss out. Or make it big enough so that all these teams can get in. Because Tonga should be at the World Cup and stuff like that. And and if you mm. have to have a few more games, get it. But let me let me discuss my real problem now. It was brought to my attention as I was scrolling through Instagram and I was on the short side of the Instagram page. I'll give them a, a shout out when I when I make this video turn this into a video. And they did a very cool spreadsheet of comparing state of origin free versus Australia and England second test and some numbers. So I'm gonna run you through the numbers. Now try six to three. Obviously in rugby you can get more tries than that. It was a bit of a Dell affair where English just raked up the points uh, by kicking goals. Runs, mm. uh, 196 to 393. Uh, sorry, 393 to 196 for State of Origin. So about 200 more runs in the game. Obviously, leagues are built to do that. Metres, 3,051 to 659. 
offloads 30 to 12, line breaks 8 to 6, tackle bus 102 to 48, kicks 51 to 62. So now we start seeing where, the, where, where rugby union's coming in control. Penalties, 8 to 26. Errors, 18 to 28. Ball and play, and this is the big one, 55 minutes for State of Origin 3. Have a guess how many minutes the ball was in play for the second test of Aussie versus England. 30 minutes. 32 minutes. Oh, I was 32 close. minutes the ball was in play. And it was touched on last time. I said, let the boys play. Just let the boys play because there isn't enough of this at the moment where we're seeing stoppages. And there was a moment there uh, in the New Zealand-Ireland test where we were out scrum. No, it must have been Aussie-England test where a scrum went down about three times and just nothing happened. And it was like, that has wasted three minutes. And it's funny enough, again, talking to my mm-hmm. partner who knows nothing about rugby uh, as I took her to the game, uh, she goes, I asked her the same question, how many, t- how many minutes do you think the ball would be in play? She guessed, oh, 80. Thinking 80 minutes, 80 Sat down and I had explained it all to her, saying, no, 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 it won't be 80 because of this and that. And she goes, like a moment of realisation, her eyes just widen and she, no, she goes, the, the clock moves and the ball's not being played a lot, is it? And I said, fuck yes, like, this is the issue we have. Like, there was, there's, yep. there's moments in games where you, and there was a moment in the Ireland-England package where, you know, it was two minutes in play and that's just incredible rugby. Like, 23 phases, this, that, it's always in play. There's the famous clip of the Chiefs versus the Highlanders where they run back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I just, I... There needs to be work on the game because it is ruining the spectacle a little bit. And there was, I yeah. I, I, I don't know why, and, and someone may be able to find out, I haven't Googled it, but there was drink breaks twice during this game in the middle, in 20-minute mark and 20-minute uh, of the second half. And I'm going, fuck the game, the ball's only in play for 32 minutes. What are we having drink breaks for? Like, I just, there's just something there that says it's right for me. And I think there's a couple of things that I believe. And I think, firstly, there's a lot of errors in rugby because I've, I, I, the, the pressure on when you're catching the ball, you don't get 10 metres to catch the ball of run-up, if you know what I mean, from um, yep. league. it's You're catching the ball on the line sometimes, most of the time, every so often. So the pressure on, you're going to have more knock-ons. I think an advantage for a knock-on should be at literally, like legitimately one pass and then we play. Bang, advantage gone, we play. Like the kick, I love that when you kick a ball, it's advantage over. It doesn't matter, or shouldn't matter where the kick goes. If you've chosen to put foot to boot after a knock-on advantage, boom. Now, penalties, I think, has to come down to phases. So I go, either you've made 20-plus yep. metres or you've done five-plus phases, you lose your penalty advantage. You, at any point in those five-plus phases, can choose to knock it on. I've got zero problem with that and saying, yep, we'll take the three points. Because if you want to take the three points, take it, you know. But you know up until the fifth phase or, you know, fifth phase, you've got that opportunity to knock it on or to to take a risk. And then we see more playing because just at the moment, like, it's it's so different. It's it's up to the ref's deception. And we've got so many things in the game at the moment that is up to a ref's deception and decision-making that it's just taken away from the spectacle and it's getting me annoyed. It's getting me very annoyed Mm. now that... I'm having to sit here, and, and this is the second week in a row I'm going to harp on about this, and I'll probably keep harping on about it until we see some of these changes because I just, I think as a game, I get, I understand all the, the head contacts and everything like that has to be changed, has to be done. And I, and there was a, a head contact in the Irish-New Zealand one. I think it was fine, a yellow card, didn't ruin the spectacle. You've got to get rid of that. 
but there's bigger problems in the, the the cards and everyone's getting so caught up on the cards but it's actually the game itself cut time down I I, I, I wish yep. stop a stop clock or something like that for if someone gives given a penalty you've got 30 seconds to kick that ball out or make it you know you've got 10 seconds to make a decision a ref just I want the ref shot clock, yeah. to be on to the time I don't think you need a shot clock around but a ref being like push you for decision I want a decision I want a decision let's play this game yep. with a bit more speed and then we can earn those drink breaks <laughs> Yeah, even even something like I, I mentioned shot clock, like something like the NRL where they stop, uh, where they stop the clock for uh, if they take it too long for scrums and things like that. I think that could be integrated in, and I think they the reason it's not is because they're worried that it'll drag out the the broadcast times and the the time of the, the total length of time a game takes to be played because there are so many stoppages, uh, right? There's so many times as you know we we said with the balls not in play, uh. I think, yeah, the laws of the game definitely need adjusting. You know, when Eddie Jones and Dave Rennie, two coaches going at each other, are both calling for law changes, then it's probably time to, to listen up, right? Like the intentional knock on one, we discussed it last week, total horse shit, yeah. really. It needs to be needs to be adjusted. Uh, rules around the breakdown and not rolling away and things like that need to be looked at as well, you know, in terms of how they're interpreting it. Um and since some ridiculous calls as well, like in the the first or second test, I'm not sure which one. I think no, the first test when Alan Alatoa got knocked out, right? He was concussed and he got penalised for not rolling away. And it's like he's fucking concussed. <laughs> How can he roll away? He's literally out cold. That's absolutely ridiculous to be giving the other side a penalty for a player being injured, right? So stuff like that, I think, is is utterly ridiculous. Uh, as well as that, and you know, maybe this is coming from what I said before, where the the English and the Irish played to the laws of the game, and like you said, it's South Africa's style of game as well. I think sometimes the interpretation of the rules by the individual refs, uh, it, I think it's too open to interpretation, right? So how long to not roll away when a tackle is complete or when a ruck is formed and things like that to allow ball steals and everything like that, I think is way too open to uh, interpretation at the moment and really needs to be looked at because there's countless times where uh, the English were given a penalty and the commentators are like, why are they being given a penalty there? Yeah. You know, there was even a situation, there was one situation as well where the Australians were given a penalty where quite clearly Vunapolo had, uh, had, you know, released from the t- tackle and gone back into to gather the ball, right? So there are there are way too many instances where the laws are being interpreted very harshly, and it ruins the spectre of the game because blowing that many penalties and not having the ball in play ruins the game of rugby compared to a game like rugby league. Yeah, and I and I, that's that's a totally a hundred percent right. Like, how can we have lesser penalties? Okay, well, let's take some of the deception or, or the decision making out of the rest hands. And these are the laws. I know, you know, there are is always going to be, it's it's going to be a close. The ruck is one of those things that's going to be close. But we can at least do some things where we can take it out of the ref's hands and say, this is the law. There's no two ways about it. Bang. And we've done that with head contact so we can show it can be done. I just think as well with the ball and play, it needs to be might play more. So how do we do that? Okay, advantages are less. We have set things to this, and it just makes yeah. it, we'll make the game better. That's I definitely agree on that. I just I just can't see when I read stats like that. I'm like, what what's the point, man? Like, what do we? Thirty two minutes in an eighty minute game, like, mm. there's just too many stoppages. So yeah, I definitely agree with um. And I, I'm an NFL fan, 
So I know all about stoppage as a game, right? And even I get frustrated. Look, the, the advantage thing that played out a lot in the Australia-England game as well, where there was just the, the English had the ball for so long and the Australians defended so, so well. And then it just gets called back for a penalty after England had got countless opportunities to take uh, to take an advantage and, and, and didn't, right? And yeah, you know, like something after... It'll be almost like a rugby league tackle count, right? You get five phases or something like that, and then the ref said, you know, calls out, you know, fifth phase, uh, you know, or you know, uh, I, you know, are you using your advantage now or not? Like something like that, where yeah. they indicate, you know, yep. and then they, they can make a decision, or you can, as you said, just intentionally knock it on yourself, right, to bring it back for the penalty. Um, look, yeah, it is. It needs to be adjusted. It's be tricky to work into. It'd be totally revolutionising. Uh, how the game's played, I think, uh, but I think in a good way. And you know what? Revolutionizing the way game, the game is played is a good thing. Look at the NRL, right? Over the last two years, comp- you know, hasn't completely changed the way his game, but has certainly modified it a lot from where it was at before and forced new styles of play. And that's a good thing because interest in the NRL is at an all-time high. Yep. And saying that, let's fucking get on to the NRL. The good, bad, and the ugly. Yes. We are here... A uh, lot to talk about because we had a, we had Origin last Wednesday and uh, we had another whole round of NRL straight off the yeah. back of that. So I will start with my good, which is Origin, because I didn't mm-hmm. have much good to take from the week of sport, but I could take yeah. Origin. Now, I'm not saying Origin just because Queensland won, although it helps, but also just the game was one of the best games of the years. Like I, yeah. the physicality, the brutalness, the the skills on show was incredible. Now I really liked um, Brad Fittler's comment after the game when someone said, "Is it one of the like everyone's playing? It's one of the best games ever. You know, one of the best Origins ever." And he goes, "Well, I don't think we played, you know, to our best. So then, how could it be the best Origin ever yeah. for us?" And I was like, "That's a good point." Like. For a spectacle, one of the best games I've ever witnessed. Like, just for a spectacle, it was, you know, who's going to win, who's going to take it, the physicality, all of that. The spectacle was fantastic. When you actually look at the performance of New South Wales, they won't be close to saying that was the best game ever because they had some moments that they were definitely uh, subpar. Uh, And I think even Queensland will definitely say that they had some moments that weren't their best moments and 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 mm. could have been could have been a better game if they had done this and done that. But I think the spectacle was one of the best I've ever seen. Saying that, the brutality of it, I'll let you I'll let you finish. But I just want oh, to say, I was oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you go. You, you're touching on exactly what I was going to say. So go the for brutality it. of it was at another level where that was borderline dangerous. Man, these guys were absolutely throwing themselves into tackles. We saw Murray. Who was it? Collins and Cobo all knocked out within you know fifteen minutes. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there was. I'm sure there's more injuries. We obviously saw Burton with a pretty swollen eye after it. We saw a couple others. I'm sure there was some bruised bodies. So my bad for the week is injuries leading on from those. Then we had the Roosters players. We had Dragons players. We had a few players just all pulling up with injuries at the wrong time of the season because obviously. You want the best players playing at the end of the season. Uh, and as you said, like Pup, 
obviously out. I think it was Tini Tupanua out. There was someone else did an ACL, Billy Smith. Uh, it's just, if, I fucking hate injuries. I mean, you want your best play, play, yeah. players. And we can see, if we see what Latrell did in his, <laughs> what Latrell did in against um, the Bulldogs, and you just go, man, to see him in origin, it's not in origin, if you know what I mean, but to see him, yeah. not to see Turbo playing in origin, it just sucks. So. That was my bad, and then my ugly, just to finish off, the Mitch Moses incident, mm. which uh, it's it's hard to even believe that this is a thing, yeah. but some low-life you know, messaging and, and, and sending death threats to his family about him uh, to the point where the NRL had to get security presence around him pretty much 24-7 from that game um, against the Warriors just as yeah. the lowest of the low. Like, if you're fucking doing that, you, you need a... A couple of one twos, good nights to your to your head because you, you're just a dickhead. Uh, I just don't understand what could drive you to do that to a player, if you know what I mean. Absolutely, um, and the fact it was someone known to him as well is is even worse. Um, look, I've just got a couple of counterpoints in there. Like you know, you mentioned the good with Origin and the bad with injuries. I think one of the one of the things with Origin that I was most disturbed about was that physicality and brutality now all the commentators were celebrating like oh this is a throwback to the classic origins of old the classic origins of old have led to terrible head trauma we had a story come out during the week that andrew johns has turned to medical cannabis to deal with uh the the brain damage and that's 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 not an exaggeration literally the brain damage he suffered from his years playing in league so that kind of style, while it's entertaining and it's a spectacle, is dangerous. And putting that on the biggest rugby league stage of the year, being state of origin where the kids watch and f- create heroes, I think is is nothing short of irresponsible and dangerous, right? So as much as it's entertaining to watch and it's good to see people bashing each other and all that, if you want to see people fight, go watch UFC. If you want to see people damage and injure each other, go watch a movie. There's not a place for it in sport where you're intentionally going out there to hurt someone. And that's what Queensland were doing at the start of that game. They were going out there to hurt people and they were doing it dangerously. That's why Murray was knocked out. That's why two of their own players were knocked out as well because they went in there recklessly. And I think that's that's not my bad or ugly for the week, but it's definitely up there for me. Now, that's not the reason Queensland won the game at all. For sure not. But it definitely didn't help that the referee wasn't penalizing or punishing that. Now, if that's at club level, punishing, right? Punishing what? The... the the reckless tackles, tackling shoulder charges, basically, without no arms in the tackle. But but who who are we discussing here? I talk, Pat Pat Carrigan. Pat Carrigan. He, the, 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 the the tackle that... he went in that Cobo got knocked out on. Yeah. Right. He's gone in to try and shoulder charge. I think it was Toto there, and just gone flying through. Right, with no arms around the tackle, and that's why Cobo's come around and whacked his head against the side of Carrigan's thighs. Right, if Carrigan had gone in there, wrapped the tackle, he would have been hit by uh, Toto's body or something like that, and stopped. And Cobo wouldn't have got his head knocked out. Cam Murray as well got taken out on a shoulder charge tackle as well. well no, it's just Cam Murray was tackling. Was he tackling? He was tackling Corey Oates on the first oh. setup. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, no, that's right. Was I, it was it a, Corey Oates? Didn't Corey Oates run like a decoy line or something like that? Yeah, ball, the ball, yeah. It, it was. It, yeah. it, well, I get what you're saying with the Pat Carrigan one and yeah. stuff. I was, I was just confused because I was like, are you blaming Cobo for getting knocked out? But Cobo, a poor tackle technique no. a little bit as well. But I see what you mean there as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it then, was the, the the intensity of the start of that game. Look, it's great to see intensity and seeing savage hits with great technique 
is awesome. I mean, I'm going to take an example from rugby, right? Look at Hunter Paisami's hits. Form perfect tackles, still every bit as brutal when he poleaxes someone, right? So it is possible to have that level of intensity with correct tackling technique. Right? I think, yeah. And as I said, this is not the reason Queensland won. New South Wales by far was far from their best and definitely didn't come into it with the same energy as Queensland. Yeah. But yeah, no, I far agree. Out. That. I think, I, that's it's dangerous. I think yeah, the 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 way rugby league obviously the tackle technique is up higher, and that is going to lead to knockouts as we saw with Lindsay Collins and and Cam, Cam mm. Murray. Because as soon as you start going high, it's there. I just I am thankful that it wasn't uh, a replica of Isaiah Yo in the first game where they stayed on the field. I'm glad that yeah. they all were taken off. They all stayed off. I'm like that's 100%. that's that's the first thing they've got to get right. Is if you have a head injury, you've got to come off. You don't go back on the field um, because I think yeah that's we and that's what you like as you mentioned with Andrew Johns is when guys like that get a injury and then they go back on the field and then they take another hit and another hit and another hit and all of a sudden it's four or five hits later and then they it's really going to spark some stuff in the careers and 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 we see it with Alex Twelve as well being ruled out for the remainder of the year. For yep. having a concussion, Boyd Cordner retiring yeah, last year and things like that as well. So much more has been put to safety, which uh, I'm just thankful for as well. Continue, yeah. my friend. That all, that all being said, Queensland played better. They stepped up without the without their one of their best players, Cam Munster. The other great players stepped up. Looking at New South Wales, they were without two of their best players. Tedesco's, I think, probably unquestionably New South Wales' best player and is in the argument for New South Wales' best player of all time, right? And that's, you know, with guys like Joey and Freddie having played for for New South Wales. I think Teddy's getting up there, right? But being without Luttrell and Turbo, I mean, we saw what Luttrell did against the Bulldogs. You mentioned it yourself. That's that's huge, huge. That, That being said, still, Freddie definitely, I think, his selection policy, he's going to be examining that. All right, just the same way he examined it two years ago after he didn't include um, Paps on the bench. Do you know what though? It makes for great entertainment and great origins every year, right? And I really, it really pisses me off that people, uh, when New South Wales lose, uh, taunting and saying, "Oh, New South Wales dynasty, New South Wales dynasty." New South Wales didn't say coming into this that they were they were establishing a dynasty, right? The fact that New South Wales is competing after uh, eight in a row from. Queensland and the Queensland dynasty they had, I think is great. And I love seeing this though. Like, you know, Freddie has a great talented team. He breaks sort of the origin coast, wins two in a row, right? Then Wayne Bennett comes in the ambush, worst Queensland team of all time. Okay. Freddie's like, okay, looking at my bench policy there, I needed to have another back uh, in my bench. I need to adjust my policy. The next year he gets his playmakers back. He adjusts his selection policy. New South Wales win. This year, Billy Slater comes in with his fresh ideas on how to structure the Queensland team, sticks with his guys. Queensland wins the series. Now, Freddie's got to look at his team. Okay, look, I probably catered too much to Nathan Cleary in my selection policy here and in the centres. I probably looked too much to attack and not enough to a def- defence. Now I need to adjust to this next year coming in. That, to me, is better origin entertainment than a dynasty of just New South Wales, right? That was because that's what's made supporting New South Wales so great is that, and it's the same with the with the Wallabies as well, right? Is that all the losses make the wins that much more sweet? And I'm going to get into more stuff about Origin in my ugly section, but I guess I should probably get on to my. Well, I just, ugly, I, right? just I, I love what you're talking about. We we we've got to talk about Origin. It's just one of the biggest yeah. games around, and it yeah. was it was great to chat. I uh, had a work colleague who sat down, and it's I think it's the fact, like you said, those two losses 
Well, not so much this one, but especially that one uh, with the worst Queensland team. It's the fact that you have the potential for a dynasty, if you know what I mean. Like no yeah. one's like saying it now because obviously it has. But you you could have it. You look back at these two, this series here, and let's take game three out of it because I think game three was probably the only game that Queensland played better. I think the selection decisions in game one probably hurt a little bit more, and so that's where the series was probably lost more than game three. Yeah, but it was a winnable series that. 2021 winnable series so you could be five on the trot right now and I think that's why mm. and again even lesser so that this series turbo and Latrell out that probably changes it now we did we did discuss and two, the series that we lost as well was, right I think about the Queensland dynasty era how many times in those era were um two of the big three or four out 100%. as well I, right? none probably I, I even it might have been one you know I remember Cronk being out for one but even that, it's you don't lose them all. Uh, and then yeah. my next point was now we discussed it quite heavily. The Matt Burton and Talakai. We obviously didn't discuss yeah. it going into Game Three, but going into Game Two after Whiten was ruled out and the choice of Burton, and then now coming back to Game Three now. Burton obviously has one of the greatest all-time left foots in the world. Let's not argue that. But had free runs for twenty-three meters. Talakai came off the bench. Was pretty ordinary. Do you think that there was a decision made wrong there? Should Whiten have been in there? Now, again, we, we went to bats pre-game pre two, so I don't want to call you out and said I said that Whiten was the better player and Whiten should have been starting because we never had that actual discussion pre that one. But we did discuss, and you discussed pretty heavily, that Burton was the right man and Crichton was the right man and even Talakai in the end were the right men. But now that Whiten came back, do you think... Like you said, Freddie will be that will be his brief regret, I imagine. Do you think that's true yep. as well? And what would you have done Absolutely. now looking back? Hindsight's a great thing, but looking yep. back. Hindsight hindsight's a great thing. But I, I said this pre game two as well. I was shocked Tupo was still inside for game two. I think that should have been the Fox. And definitely for game three should have been the Fox, right? The speed on that would absolutely have been a difference maker in this game. I still think Burton was the right choice. I think Crichton was not. And I think Talakai definitely was not. I did question Crichton and question his defense and what let him down in this game was his defense and then that horrible decision <laughs> to throw the ball back into the end goal. And it's the inexperience, right? So I think I think for game two, Crichton was the right choice. I mean, he had to be, right? Yep. For game three, though, I think Whiten was the better choice in, in, in that in that instance. I think even Whiten on the bench over Talakai would have been better too. Talakai wasn't... I could see why Freddie did that. Right, as, as we say, hindsight's a beautiful thing. I can see after game two, the limited minutes Talakai had, he looked like he was built for Origin Arena. Like He yep. looked like he belonged, right? Uh, for sure, New South Wales had dominated that game up to that point, but he looked like he could handle it. Because uh, you know, as much as when a side... Neither the Origin sides ever give up. Yep. So stepping into that arena is always brutal. So I could see why Freddie did that. But if I could sort of go back now and, and redo Freddie's selections... Right, I think the forward pack was was fine. I think the way he ran that was was fine. Uh, what I would have done for this game would have been for the back line, Cleary at seven. Uh, sorry, Luai at six, Cleary at seven. No, other way around. <laughs> Cleary at seven, Luai at six. I don't know why I'm going backwards <laughs> like this. Uh, wingers, I would have had Toto. Toto is an origin player. Yep. He's fine. And we're going to get as said, we're going to get more <laughs> onto that soon. Uh, wing, other wing, Fox. Unquestionably, the fox. Yep. I don't. He's he's been a standout performer in Origin for 
for years, and he stepped back up for the Bulldogs when he was challenged by Freddie. And we've seen that bef- we've seen this before. When the Trell was challenged by Freddie to earn his way back into Origin, he did. However, it took a year, and I think maybe Freddie's going to learn from that that it's okay to to have players prove themselves during the year and get them back into the arena. Centers for for this game three, Burton and Whiten, right? Um, or 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 Burton and Crichton with Whiten on the bench. Yep. I I could see either way here if he wanted to let Whiten get back into things, but I think Whiten's defense would have definitely made the ability. So I would have say Whiten starting and the fullback Teddy obviously bench. Forwards the same with with Cookie on there. I probably would have uh, actually held Cook out a little bit longer. Until to let Queensland get a bit more tired and let Appy do some more of that dirty work, which he's better at. Uh, and then uh, bench play instead of Talakai, maybe Crichton, but uh, it's hard to think who else who could have got in there. Uh, Gutho's been playing Unreal. I wouldn't have minded to see to see him in there at all. It's hard to say. I don't know. I think obviously now looking back on it, Talakai was the wrong choice. Looking ahead to next year, and it's very early projections, right? Mm-hmm. As I said, the Ford pack, I think, did tremendously. Uh, and I don't know how many changes he'd make in there, allowing for injuries. Saifidi was incredible, was was amazing in his debut. I just want to mention, before you get onto this part, uh, it hasn't been mentioned a lot, and I think it's it's a little bit downright disrespectful, but Payne Haas was seen, was, yeah. was a big a big Shit. name that hasn't been mentioned yeah. a lot. And I was like, far even in that game, that third game, he could have been... Like a prop that can play the minutes that he can play, yeah. do the dirty work that he can do. Sorry, continue with your, your next year. Yeah, and, and even uh, even Jordan McLean missing. Like he'd been in camp for longer than Saifidi yeah. had. So, uh, so yeah, you know, the forwards, I think he had he had the forwards right. But backs, uh, Cleary at seven, stays at seven. He is the seven for New South Wales, no question about that. Six, though, for next year, I'd put Burton in there. Yeah. Right? I'd put Burton six. Centers, Latrell and Turbo. Right? If one of them is out, uh, you've got the options of of Stags or and Whiten as well. Yep. So you've got options there, uh, depending on form. Wingers, Toto and Fox, fullback Teddy. Now bench is where I get spicy. Yep. Right. Bench is where I get spicy. <laughs> Starting hooker is either of Appy or Cookie. Yep. Whoever's playing better during the year. Bench hooker, I think you have Luai to cover. Because Luai can play hooker, and he's played hooker before, but he can also slot into the halves yep. if there's an injury there, right? Um, and you have have him there, have two uh, two forwards in there as well, and then uh, if Whiten is not starting, have him on the bench also, because he can also fill in in the back row of, uh, of the forward pack as yep. well. And that would be my squad for, for next year barring any sort of amazing player breakthroughs next year. Yep. And so think about that, you know, I think because Luai, I think does, he, he is an origin player. And as I said, I'm going to talk more about Luai and Toto and all of them in a little bit, but he, he is an origin player. I don't know if he's a right number six yep. though for origin. I think he's better at six at Clubland. I think he could come on and be sort of a game breaker at hooker as well, because he's got that great running ability, but I don't know if he's the right starting six. Does it, does it worry you that RP is going to the uh, Tigers? No, and I'll also talk about that here in a second. Okay. Continue, so my friend. Now that my now that my origins <laughs> rants now that my first origin rant is over because it's going to be another one, folks. My good, bad, and the ugly for the week. So the good for the week, right? I've actually got two goods. I know I'm talking a lot today, but it was a big week. So my first good 
is it's got to be the Storm losing three in a row and losing four straight to Canberra at Amy. So your second team. So you got one win this week. You got I, the Canberra I picked Raiders. them as well. I picked them. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. And you know, it, the Storm weren't missing a whole lot of players. Like Munster was back in after his his COVID, so you couldn't even say he was, uh, you know, backing up from Origin. COVID does affect you, and we yep. both had COVID. We know that it can yep. affect you and things like that. But uh, Paps being injured, Paps getting injured, I'm sure, um, hurt them as well. Xavier Coates being out, like the Melbourne Storm have absorbed some injuries, right? But three in a row, the it's not quite it's i don't think it's it's ever going to get to a hashtag ian foster out situation there in melbourne <laughs> but this is not the standard we're used to the melbourne yeah. storm seeing from the melbourne storm uh and yeah definitely trouble in paradise in melbourne but my other good for the week and this plays with the apicorosa thing is the west tigers and the west tigers announcing their coaching decision where tim sheen's going to be coaching the team up until 2025 at which point benji marshall will be taking over benji marshall doing an apprenticeship under sheen's until then i think that is fan fucking tastic i think that is a great uh, great idea we'll wait to wait to see how it goes in practice but tim sheen's experienced coach was the head of uh, coaching development at west tigers there for a bit but what has the west tigers lacked more than anything in recent memory coaching stability right and yeah Madge has been there for years right you can you can say that, oh well, how can you say it hasn't been stability Madge has been there for ages but think about it every year there's been <laughs> questions about when is is this now when Maguire's going has he you know when are the West Tigers and kick him out has he done enough he's doing worse every year blah 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 how taxing is that going to be on a coach and the players especially on recruits right where they're thinking well how do I even know if the coach that I'm going there to play for is even going to be that we saw it at the Bulldogs with Trent Barrett getting kicked out kick out and Burton were both questioned, like, well, you said you were going to go there to play under Trent Barrett. And kick I was like, yeah, I really want to play under Trent, but I guess we'll see whoever it's going to be next, right? So now you have that stability, right, for at least the next three years, probably four, allowing Benji at least a couple of yeah. seasons there. Not only that, you've got the name value of Benji Marshall being coach, right, and Tim Sheens, right? Okay, premiership-winning coach, premiership-winning player who's now being taught how to coach by a premiership-winning coach. Amazing. That is... And so... With Appy going to the Tigers, no, I'm not worried about that because A, Robbie Farah is still going to be part of all of that. And if there's a man that knows how to play hooker, it's Robbie Farah. And Benji Marshall is going to be there along with Tim Tim Sheens. And there is a sense of stability finally at the Tigers, right? Isaiah Papali'i is going there as well. There's some positive signs for the Tigers. Yep. Now, I would have liked to, I would like to see that sort of mirror to other clubs, particularly at my club, the Dragons, where this week some questions have been starting to creep up about Hook. I think probably a little bit unfairly considering the position the team is in, right, where they are competing for that that top eight spot. There's been more sustained success this year than in, in recent history, and it's only his second year on the job. And he's managed to... Ben Hunt's playing the best league, the rest, best footy of his career, arguably, and uh, you're seeing emerging some emerging stars like Junior Ramon and Cody Ramsey. So I think it's probably a little bit harsh. However, what we saw two years ago when Mary McGregor was fired uh, was that there was a uh, successor, an heir apparent almost uh, in the buildings. Um, I'm trying to remember his name now. Uh, Dean Young, right? Yep. Uh, and But the, the knock on him was not enough experience, right? He's now... Uh, He's now working, I believe, at the Queensland Cowboys as an assistant under Todd Payton, right? Now, he's not there to uh, to apprenticeship under Todd Payton to succeed Todd Payton, but he's still apprenticing underneath him, right, to learn how to be a head coach. He really wants to be the head coach of the Dragons. I would have loved to have seen something like 
with where you know hooks what we're seeing for um, Tim Sheens and, and Benji Marshall with with Hook and with Dean Young or with some other experienced coach and Dean Young, right? Uh, you know, uh, and then and that leading him to be the Dragons' next coach, having that sense of stability. Whereas now we're in year two of Hook and there's already questions about him and where's he going to go next? So imagine if that was if we had an heir apparent behind Hook and we know, okay, he's going to be here in the interim. He's building up this next guy to be the next head coach and then Hook's going to retire. This guy's going to take over. We saw it with Wayne Bennett and Jason Demetrio as well. Mm-hmm. Mixed results for Demetrio, but the Rabbitohs are back in top eight uh, and they're playing some really good rugby now, uh, rugby league now that Latrell's back and things like that. I think it is a really solid idea that more clubs should take note of. Agreed. So those are my goods for the week. Agreed. Agreed. Warriors, listen up. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Bad for the week. Uh, has to be my Dragons breaking their streak um, of wins for taking the taking the lead uh, into the second half. So every game this season that the Dragons have had the first half, uh, have had the lead at halftime, they've gone on to win the game. They broke that streak, obviously, against the Roosters. A couple of iffy refereeing calls, and then a free Joey Manu try where he never got the ball down, and another one where he looked like he was, he was uh, injured, and so the Dragons players didn't hit him, and then he ran through and set up another try. Some iffy decisions in that. Again, like the like Origin, not the reason the Roosters won, but I'm very demoralizing to see as a as a Dragons fan. And look, how much would the momentum have been different if the Dragons were up 14 to six at halftime instead of 14 to 12? You know, who can say? However, that being said, the Dragons not managing to keep a lead uh, uh, after having it uh, at the first half and breaking the streak was bad. Now my ugly for the week. Here we and go. <laughs> for the, the for those that follow me on social media, you would have seen you might have seen a Facebook comment for me this week. But if you're a rugby league supporter, you will have seen some comments by shock jock Paul Kent this week uh, uh, from from Fox Sports, where he has made, in my opinion, the quite frankly ridiculous and trite com- uh, claim that Origin means more to the Queensland players than the New South Wales players. And the reason he says this is because some of the New South Wales players of a non-Australian heritage, particularly Samoa, want to represent their heritage in the Rugby League World Cup that is coming up. And he goes and spins a fantastical tale of Tom Dearden with tears in his eyes as he's being handed the number six jersey. And I won't let Queensland down a good old white Queensland rugby league player and Jerome Luai oh he just can't wait to go play for Samoa he's standing over you know he's doing all this that he can't tell me the passions uh the same when you know one of them's crying because he's been given the number six jersey I won't let Queensland down the other one can't wait to play for Samoa absolutely fucking ridiculous and basically bordering on 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 racism because Look at Luai during that game. He gave his all for that game. The try that he scored, he's falling to the ground and his eyes are only there for the ball to try and score for his state. Right? We are a multicultural society. My co-host next to me here, I hope I'm pointing the right way, is an immigrant is an immigrant himself. Right? On my side, my grandparents on my mother's side are immigrants to this country. We are all unless we have uh, Indigenous Australian uh, background, uh, have immigrant heritage in us in this country, right? And that does not, let me tell you, from personal experience and feeling, that does not stop passion or 
uh, or love of this country, right? We are supposed to be a multicultural nation. We are supposed to be a home for those without a home, right? We are supposed to be a country for where people can improve their lives and, and make things better for themselves, right? You're telling me that To'o, that Luai, that Saifidi, that players that have a different background and are just as passionate about their uh, Samoan heritage they are about Australia care less about origin than Tom Dearden. That is absolute horseshit. Absolute and utter horseshit. Right? Now, did Queensland want it more on the day? Absolutely. To say that it means less to New South Wales than it does to Queensland? Fucking ridiculous. Look at how distraught Joey Johns and Freddie Fittler were after the game. Look at how completely pissed and bummed Luai and Toto and the rest of those players were after that game. New South Wales didn't lose the game because they care less about origin. They lost the game because they were the worst team on the day. They made stupid mistakes. Queensland out-physicaled them. Queensland won the ruck. And to say that it's because the New South Wales players care more about playing for Samoa than they say and then they care about playing for New South Wales is shit. And it's frankly disrespectful to the Queensland players as well to say that, that no, you didn't play better. New South Wales just didn't care about the game as much. If New South Wales cared about the game more, they probably would have won. That's so fucking ridiculous. That's taking away from the amazing effort that Tom Dearden put in. And to say that it's because he's more passionate about it than Jerome Luai is ridiculous. Now, this is the same Paul Kent that then criticised... Jerome Luai for getting fired up and standing over Selwyn Cobber <laughs> after Selwyn Cobber was on the ground, right? So, Grub. so on the one hand, he's too he's too passionate. On the other hand, he doesn't care enough. Fucking make a choice, mate, or just say that you don't like the fact that uh, these players aren't going to be playing for Australia and they're going to be playing for Samoa. There is nothing that says that because you play State of Origin, you have to represent Australia. And now, coming out early this week or yesterday, Victor Radley has declared for England. Where is Paul Kent on his high horse charging down Victor Radley, who was in the Blues Origin camp and is now going to uh, is now gunning for selection for England in the Rugby League World Cup? What's the difference between Radley, Luai, and Toe? I'll give you one thing, their skin colour. I'll give you another, <laughs> their last names. So... For, for me, quite frankly, it's utterly ridiculous that these players have been been called out for this because it is should not be needed to be called out, right? There was so much more to this game than the heritage of the players and to, to attack the heritage of the players is disgusting to me in 2022, right? We are a civilized, multicultural country, or at least I wish we were. But from what I've seen in uh, from rugby league commentators and from uh, Facebook and social media commentators this week has disgusted me. Yeah. Has, has disgusted me. But luckily I've seen as well positivity out there where there's been a lot of people that have um, agreed with me or voiced their own opinions on saying how stupid this is. Now, Paul Kent's done a great job because he's gotten people talking about this. He's gotten people reading his words. So congratulations. You've gotten the clicks. You've gotten the likes. You've gotten that ad and revenue money for Fox Sports. Your job's safe. But for me, the fact that this is a discussion is absolutely ridiculous. Totally agree. And I mean, I think that the height of that is, is like you've said, you've got the grub that is Jerome Luai. And I'm only calling him a grub because if, if it was a Queenslander, he should be called a grub as well. You get called a grub for doing what you did. Yeah. He doesn't have to apologise. I like that he didn't have to apologise, but he was still a grub act because it's a grub act. Now, that yeah. moment where he's over him screaming and it's Josh Papali, Josh Papali'i, who's the one that comes over and pushes him, who's also discussing if he's going to be playing for Samoa, 
I kind of mm-hmm. just says that negates all of whatever Paul Kent was saying. Because at that moment, yep. that's two guys who are going to go and probably play for Samoa who give no fucks about each other, will throttle each other for the jersey that they're wearing. So I completely yeah, disagree with what Paul Kent is yeah. saying. What I do want to, to mention here, and I want to get your opinion on it. Now, it would have yep. been, it's been real interesting that Victor Radley's chose come out and spoke and he wants to play for England because if he had played Origin and then said that, it's a... He's not. You're not allowed to play for a tier one nation and play Origin, aka a New Zealander. Now, I have an issue with these players playing for for Samoa. Not for the issue that they should play for Samoa, but I have an issue with their playing state of Origin. Now, the reason I have that is, you play state of Origin, you're the best players in Australia, so you should be playing for Australia. As far as I'm concerned, they're done. Boom. So. I don't think you should be able to go pick and choose. It's like if you get selected for some uh, for, for state of origin, you're eligible to be selected for Australia. If then you're selected for Australia, you play for Australia. If you're not selected by Australia, then you can go and play for your your, your tier yep. two nation. Tier two nation. The only reason I say that is if you want entertaining football. I don't want any New Zealander playing in any state of origin. I think that would be the most ridiculous rule in the world. So I don't want anyone else. You've got to obviously do whatever you've got to do to be able to play Origin. So for Luai and for uh, To'o, you know, born in Sydney, so obviously have the rights to, to play Origin. Like, don't get me wrong, they should be able to mm. play Origin. But I think if you play Origin, you are then putting your name forward to play for Australia. If you're not selected for Australia, by all means, go and play for those Tier 2 nations. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with Victor Adley. I'm a bit confused now because if he's saying he's playing for yeah. England... So he's allowed to, yeah. but that does that not rule him out of next year's Origin? You would think so. You would think so. But again, that's not being discussed. I, and I'm going to add on to what you say there as well because I, I don't I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And I think I even said as much in one of my um, responses in the in the Facebook comments. Right? Like you could still be excited about playing for Samoa, but if you get picked for Australia, well, you, you're picked for Australia, right? Having dual heritage and wanting to represent Samoa doesn't mean you won't be passionate about playing for Australia as well. Representing your your nation on any level, right, is amazing. And you can have more than one nation. That's the reason we have dual citizenship in this country is you can is we can have more than one heritage. Now, on the flip side of that as well, by going and representing Samoa and having origin level players representing Samoa, you're increasing Samoa's skill cap and they could be brought up to a tier one nation. So I think for now, it is it is good to have those players playing Origin and pl- playing for Samoa because they will introduce a higher level of rugby league in into Samoa. They will take what they've learned and bring it to bring it to that, that nation and bring it to those other players as well. So I think it's necessary to to develop these tier two nations into tier one nations to have players with that level of experience and that level of skill. Being able to represent those countries at the same by the same token, I don't disagree with you that they sh- they should be eligible to be selected for for Australia. But I'm sure the Australian selectors are out there and looking and thinking, okay, well, there's New South Wales and there's this this Queensland for for Origin, right? We don't have to pick um, all of them, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And there's also sides out there other than the the Origin players yep. as well. So. You can look at that and think. Uh, trying to think how to how to phrase this, like you could look at it and and be like, okay, well, I'm going to pick 
say, Xavier Coates. Xavier Coates, he's got a great skillable. Or Josh Adokar. Josh Adokar didn't play Origin this year. He mm-hmm. could still be in the in the Kangaroos team, and I think arguably uh, arguably should be. Um, and quite honestly, if I look at the the best winger in this Origin was Brian Toto. So I, w- I would say he could be one of the wingers. But none of the other wingers particularly flashed this Origin for me other than Cobo in the in the first first game. Other than that, pretty average, to be quite honest. I think, right? yeah. Daniel Tupo definitely didn't impress. Corey Oates didn't. So saying that they have to be um, have to be the, the players from Origin that play in the Australian side, I don't think it's true. And even Luai, right? Luai is probably not the six you, you pick to play for Australia. Like, I would think that Cameron Monster has got that six jersey on lock. No, no, no. And, 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 <coughs> and probably taking my words out of context here, I'm not meaning they have to play in the Origin arena. You're probably, if you're playing in the Origin arena, you're yeah. probably going to get some. So, like, Latrell, no, no, for sure. Latrell, an example. My issue is it just shouldn't be mentioned anywhere else. It's like, okay, you're playing Origin. Mm. You're now putting your name forward for Australia. When yeah. Australia's team gets named first, and then we know who's yeah. not going to be in that team. Uh, so yeah. let's say let's a good example. Let's say Daniel Tupo again, a, yeah. a form winger of the comp, played Origin, didn't do enough to probably earn an a, a Australian jumper. So Mal Meninga goes, look, we're not going to select Daniel Tupo. So nothing pre this comes out about playing for Tonga. He never has that discussion. Yeah. And then it goes, okay, he hasn't been selected for Australia. Yes, of course, you can go and play for Tonga. That's what I want to see yeah. happen, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, f- a f- first dibs kind of system. Like, 100%. If you, cho- if, you, if you choose to play Origin, Australia has first dibs on you for the World Cup. Okay? If you, so you can make the decision about, about, about if you want to risk it. Yeah. Right? And that, that's the thing. It's not, uh, it's not a lock. It's, it's a chance. Right? So that way, if really what Paul Kent is saying is true, and these players are more passionate about Samoa than they are about New South Wales... They won't play New South yeah. Wales State of Origin, right? So that's that's fine. Um, now, the fact now I don't think they've ruled themselves out of um, Australian eligibility. I think they've just said that I, I'm looking forward to playing for Samoa. I'd like to play for Samoa because yeah. I don't know if you can rule yourself out of Australian eligibility. I don't now, think I don't think does, Mal will be picking them if they're saying I'm looking forward to playing for Samoa. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think I think that's what it does is it puts the public pressure on the the coach to be like, well these guys want to play for another team. I don't really want to pick them. So, you know, I don't, but again, I don't think it has anything to do with origin. I don't think that had, so while it might come out then that Toto wouldn't be as passionate about playing for Australia as he is about playing for Samoa, I think that's totally different to origin, right? And where passion comes into it with your heritage is the nation that you represent. However, as I said, you can be passionate passionate about both right and you can be as passionate about both and especially you can be passionate about the state that you grew up in and the, the city that you grew up in like Toto is and Luaya about Mount Druitt where they were born and raised right so of course but it, on the public face of things Meninga is probably going to be like okay well I don't really want to pick them if they said that they want to play for Samar I don't think that has anything to do with Origin my, nah, see my issue Origin is, is a different beast my issue is is, is is and the only issue it's not it's not about Samar or Heritage or anything like that it's that, that this tear rubbish because Jeremiah and I yeah. Murray Tuolangi both born in New Zealand I think Josh Papali may even been born in New Zealand um, I, I don't want them playing for New Zealand if they're going to choose Queensland like like Caelan Ponga a good example has dual citizen so why can't New Zealand sector them, or if he goes, I, I want to play for New Zealand, but that can't be done because of this tear rubbish. Like again, 
I, yep. I've got no problem with with them choosing Samoa. I just think it it again, and it's 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 a crazy rule because if you're going to say Kalen Ponga can't play for New Zealand because he's playing for Queensland, then why can Brian Tuttle go and represent his his country of origin yeah. and stuff like that? Again, and I think I I've think got that's no a problem. Separate- yeah, because again, like you're I, saying, yeah, it's it is a separate thing, but it's it's a separate issue. Yeah, under because the way that the the rules and the and the game is now, right, with the, within this tier system, right, they I think they're separate separate issues because, yeah, at the at the end of the day though, like if Samoa gets promoted to a tier one nation, these players are going to have to have to pick and choose, and that will be a really tough decision for them, right, and. The, the thing as well I, and is I'm, that I'm I'm pretty confident that most of these players would pick New South Wales. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. they are, they will love playing for Samoa and love the opportunity, and I think it's good for the sport. Like, I don't think it's good for these teams to come tier one and then not be able to play for Samoa because I think they will pick New South Wales. Like, do not get me wrong; it's the biggest stage in all of rugby league. You'd be stupid not to. Yeah, but yeah, it just it's 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 left me a, a slightly funny taste. Uh, the whole process throughout this origin where you had Stags and Tupo having to decide if they would play for Tonga. Then now you've got, you know, all these players saying they're going to play for Samoa, which is, again, I think it just goes, hey, you play origin, you're putting your name forward for Australia. If Australia don't pick you, more than welcome to go and play for those tier two nations. But again, I think yeah. I think this is going to, this, this will go on. It's got nothing to do with the passion. Like you said, this is a completely separate exactly. argument. They, I think you put on that blue jumper, you you've, you hate the red the maroon jumper like there's there's no yeah, different Luai showed it like I think that's a bullshit yeah. takeaway as you've said for Kenty but yeah yeah it is it's the just selection policy answer. is is complex as you said <laughs> and and figuring out the solution to that is, is hard. I mean was it uh, Mulatalo last year where they ruled him ineligible because of his New Zealand uh, uh, representative yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mulatalo so, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 it's 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 a tough issue. To solve, but I don't think it comes down to the passion of no, the players 100%. Uh, where the issue is here. I think it comes down to how we look at these uh, selections and, and everything like that. If you, so, if you haven't realised, listeners, I'm a pretty simple man who likes simple stuff. I want to see the sport being played for at least over half of the time that you've given me. So you say 80 minutes of rugby, I want to see 40 minutes at least of rugby. I want to make it as simple as pro- uh, process as possible. I don't want too many rules. I don't want too many setups. I don't want, you know, this ripper charge for the rugby union. I don't want these rules, tier one, tier two nations. I want it to make it as easy for me to understand as possible. And I want to enjoy it. <laughs> That's yeah. what I want from life. Exactly. You do that rugby, rugby league, and you'll make me a happy man. Yeah. Exactly right. So final word on this basically is to say that the New South Wales players aren't, and New South Wales overall isn't as passionate about uh, state of origin as Queensland is, is ridiculous. And I speak on this as a New South Wales fan who was devastated by the loss, who was euphoric after the game to win. And origin is a, is a massive part of, of my life and and my my sporting experience and I don't even play rugby league. I've never <laughs> played rugby league. The closest I've ever gotten to rugby league is touch footy, <laughs> right? But I'm a rugby league fan, and so what it can mean, what it could only mean to those players is something I won't ever understand because I will never have an opportunity to pull on that jumper, and it's something I don't think Paul Kent will ever understand <laughs> because he never has pulled on a Blues jersey, right? 
People talk about the mystique of the Queensland jersey and what it means to those Queensland players and how it elevates those play those players. And you know what? It does. But it does the same thing for New South Wales players as well. James Tedesco is a fantastic club-level player. I've never seen him play at club level the way he plays <laughs> in the New South Wales Blues jersey. Right? Those players get better playing for New South Wales. Mitchell Pearce in the, the, the drought-breaking... <laughs> Uh, no, not the drought-breaking series, but in the in Freddie Fitler's first series where he's called into it in Game 3, he was definitely not in the best form of his career and far from it, but he stepped up for that game. Same with Blake Ferguson. Uh, Reynolds, if you want to talk Reynolds about passion, and Hodgson, when they, were, when, they yes. broke the, when they broke the streak, those two blokes yeah. didn't know a footy field of it. <laughs> yeah. General, and they just, you want to wow. talk about You want to talk about passion. You want to talk about New South Wales not being as passionate as Queensland. Talk to me about Josh Morris with a dislocated shoulder <laughs> tackling Greg Inglis in full flight in the middle of the field. Oh. Right, talk to me about Brett Morris, uh, death death at the end, you know, on the goal line, facing uh, down Queensland players and denying them tries and things like that as well. Talk to me about Jerome Luai in this Game 3 loss, falling to the ground, eyes only for the ball, his only thoughts to score the try. Talk to me about Brian Toto carrying the ball up every single time running into a wall of Queensland players and giving his all until the end, right? The New South Wales Blues jersey means every bit as much to those New South Wales players as it does the Maroon jersey to those Queensland players. And that is that. Boom. Just like that. Despair, devastation, passion. Mm. What a podcast. Yes. What a journey you've just taken with Mm us. So from here, we wait for the All Blacks to take the field again. Am I happy about that? No, because it'll mean I'll be on my edge of my seat again, probably waking up at 1 o'clock in the morning to watch them play South Africa uh, and watch them probably lose, which hasn't happened in a long time. I haven't gone into a game expecting a loss. You get lucky and you get Argentina, which they're coming back off the series win. And to round it all off, the Shield sits in Queensland for one more year. That's mm. is the only good thing I can take away from this podcast. <laughs> so, so I've got a bit of a bit of trivia for you. So, New Zealand going to South Africa to play the series in South Africa. What do you think happens if New Zealand loses both of those games and have then lost four games in a row? So, firstly, when's the last time New Zealand lost four games in a row? And secondly, what happens to Ian Foster if the All Blacks lose that series 2 Well, we're, we're currently. One and five. We've won one of our last five games. And I think it was against Wales. And then we lost to to Ireland in Ireland and we lost to France in France. No, no, sorry. It was the one in Ireland and then we lost lost to Ireland, we lost to France, then we beat Ireland at home and then lost these two games against Ireland. And then if we go ahead and lose two more, which, like, it's not out of the realm of possibility here. We've got to go to South Africa and play the best team in the world, uh, f- uh, I, Ian Foster's here until the rugby championship. Let's let's be honest. It's, if he doesn't bring home the rugby championship, and if he does something so disastrously and, and loses a bleeder slow, oh uh, fuck! I, I that will put me to tears. That'll that'll put me to tears. I I, I actually, you want to know something? I will take. I'm not. This is this is this is how low I've got, Husey. This is how low I've got. I'm giving. Yeah. I'm whispering to you now. I would take a one and one. I would take win one, lose one, 
and I'd t- come back to South Africa, a very, very happy boy. I'd always expect the All Blacks to win. I'd, I'd, I'd expect a 2 0, but I'd, I'd be mm-hmm. over the moon with a 1 on 1. I would take a 1 on 1. I would, I, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about a Rattle 1. There's passion. There's as much passion in a blue jersey as I am right now for a 1 and 1. Let's come back with one victory, boys, and I'll be happy. <laughs> if we win the first game, I'll be over the moon. I, 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 I. I don't see us winning either game, so that's okay. that's where I'm at. I've got I've got the the answer to my own question about when was the last time New Zealand lost four in a row, um, and the actual time last time they lost four in a row they lost five in a row, which was 1998. So they lost to Australia in Melbourne, they lost to South Africa in Wellington, they lost to Australia in Christchurch, they lost to South Africa in Durban, and then they lost to Australia uh, at the <laughs> Sydney Football Stadium. So 1998. Was the last oh. time they lost four in a row? When are we next playing at Eden Park? Just get us back to Eden Park. I don't think we should yeah. play a game anywhere bar Eden Park now, because that's all we've got. If he, if he, if, if he loses to Australia at Eden Park for the Bledisloe Cup, I don't want to see him ever in my life ever again. I don't want to see a photo. Yeah. I don't want to see a video. I will get a tattoo of hashtag Ian Foster out. If we lose a Bledisloe at Eden Park, mm-hmm. I'm yep. that passionate now, about this. This is despair. Now, We're at desperation now. <laughs> speaking of desperation and despair, and not to sort of kick you while you're down, but I do have to remind you of something, and I have to remind the yeah, viewers it's of this coming. As well. It's coming. It's in the mail. All right, it's in the, it's mail. In the mail. It'll be here for the, the next the podcast. Don't you worry. Blame, okay. blame, so, blame Rebel Sport for not delivering it on time. It should have been here today. It's coming tomorrow. So, so should I should I remind nah, the viewers of what it is, or should we leave it as a teaser? We'll for leave next it. Time? It's a cliffhanger. Drop the mic and walk away. You'll have to you'll have to <laughs> tune in next time, folks, to see what I'm talking about. If someone makes it through this whole podcast, desperation, despair that we've got, we've taken you through. I'm, yeah. I'm very glad, but you'll be excited for next time because next time we've got a little present for everybody. Uh, yes, yes, I'm excited. Alrighty, I'm done. The despair's got to me. Up the All Blacks. Up Queensland. Goodbye. (laughs) Hashtag four in a row. (laughs) Peace. Later.